here. Uh, anybody come this morning and forgot to bring a Bible or didn't bring a Bible with you, would like to have one? I have my buddy Gage back here. He's more than willing to get a, a Bible to you. Just raise your hand. We'll get you a Bible. Sling one, bro. Sling one. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. Gage is practicing his, like, <laughs> let it rip. Steve, did you guys notice his shirt? Amazing. He told me that the goal, what's the goal? You got to explain it to us. This is the blood of Christ. And because of the blood of Christ, I get to walk on streets. Yes. Love it. Amen. You guys, my shirt is a Rorschach test. No, that is awesome. Oh, you guys, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Luke. (laughs) We're in the book of Matthew regularly, but we're going to flip over to the book of Luke. And after over a year in Matthew, everyone's like, oh, nice. We get a break. Just one week, y'all. You guys, Luke chapter 24 is where we're going to be this morning. I want to say to everybody that's here, welcome So glad you're here. We really are. I want to say thank you to everyone that's visiting us this morning. If you're here with family, if you got drug in by your parents, whatever it looks like, I'm super stoked that you're here. So I want to say something that God was encouraging me in this week. And some of you that are here, this may apply to. And so I want to encourage you guys with something. If you guys are the type of people, if you're here today and you're visiting and you're like, you know what? The last time I was in a church was right around Christmas. You know what I'm talking about? We call people like that, Christer Christians. Christmas and Easter. And I mean this as an encouragement. If you guys are those people, if you're here today and you're like, man, you know, that's about all I ever do. I have a question for you. Would you wear two, piece of, two pieces of cloth around your neck with one stitch in the neck? Would you do that? Because I think that's essentially what it's like for people that only know the story of the birth of Christ and the death and resurrection of Christ. And I've got some things to say about it, right? Like, it's the most important stitch. It's by far the most important stitch. So it's not bad. I'm not judging. But what I want to encourage you guys with is this, man. Would you wear two pieces of cloth draped around your neck with one stitch and be like, look at my shirt? No, we wouldn't do that. Why do we do that with our walk with the Lord? Why do we do that with our, with our faith in the Lord, right? Why do we do that? And, and we think that that's okay. And so as an encouragement to you, I got to say this, man. Like, I think, yeah, it's the most important stitch in this garment we call life. And I kind of view the birth. This, this all came to me, y'all, in the shower, just so you know. Shower thoughts. <laughs> I'm washing my hair, and I'm like, oh, yeah, Lord, that's good. <laughs> now you guys are like, that is disgusting, Sorry. The birth of Christ is like the entrance of that stitch. And the death and resurrection of Christ is the exit of that stitch. And that stitch is the most important stitch. Right? It is literally the thing that holds the whole garment together. But the reality is, you guys, in this garment of life, Jesus, God, has given us an entire thread of redemption from Genesis all the way to maps. Genesis to maps has this thread of redemption all the way through it. And it sews the entire garment together so that you're actually wearing a whole shirt. You following the analogy? And so I want to encourage you guys. I want to encourage all of us, man. Get to know what's in here. Let God sew that thread of redemption from the beginning to the end through all of your life and and sew it together so that when you're wearing that shirt, you're like, this is a good shirt. I like this shirt. Let me tell you about this shirt. 
This shirt's amazing, right? Instead of walking around with two big strips of fabric held together by one stitch and being like, what do you think? Yeah, I don't like it much either. It's kind of weird, <laughs> right? I got to say this. How do we do that? We get plugged into a church. You get plugged in. Church, going to church every Sunday, you guys, doesn't answer anything. We all know this, right? It doesn't mean anything. There's verses in the Bible that speak of this, right? That, that people are going to go up and be like, Jesus, I knew you. Christmas and Easter. Come on. You knew me. And he's like, get away from me. I don't know who you are. That's the reality. Because it takes more than that. It takes a walk with him. Right? None of us here are good enough. None of us here are going to get there any other way other than Jesus. That's it. So that stitch is the most important stitch, right? But as we get into the word and as we learn, we're like, whoa, there's way more here. And like God had a plan, you guys, since before he created Adam and Eve, like he knew humanity was going to screw it all up. And he already knew that Jesus was going to come fix it. It's awesome. And as we get to learn that, you guys, I just got to say, listen, you do that by getting plugged into a church. And I, I, I'll tell you, I would love it if it was this church. If you're here today and you're like, man, I live really far away. Well, let us help you find a church wherever you are. If you're here today and you're like, man, I don't know about this. Like, you guys are stupid loud. Cool. I know some quieter churches I can get you plugged into. No problem. And you guys are like here today and you're like, man, I don't know, man. I think you guys are like a little too tame. I got another church right down the road here that's a little crazier than us. Right? I'm serious. If you're here today and you're like, dude, you're already annoying me, pastor. I have plenty of pastor friends that are less annoying than me. I seriously want every person that's sitting here today to be plugged in. Because I think that if you're here today and you're not a believer, if you're willing to say, God, what is this truth? He's going to show up and he's going to show you. I've seen it. I've seen it in my own life and I've seen it in others' lives. And so if you're here today and you're not in a church, I'm not kidding. Come talk to me. Grab somebody and be like, hey, this church is nuts. We'll turn you on to the Baptist church down the road. They're awesome. They're a little less nuts than we are. I'm not kidding. Pastor Chris is amazing. We're going to pray for him in a moment. You guys, before we pray, I just want to say this, man. I think if you press into God, I promise you, God will get to know you and you will get to know him. He wants nothing more than to get to know us. That's why he sent his son so that we could be in relationship with him. So let's pray. Now, that was my intro. You guys like it? And we have plenty of time. We're good. All right. Let's pray and we'll get started, you guys. Father, I just praise your name, God. I praise you, Father, that you are not just one flavor, God. You are the entire ice cream shelf. Lord God, you're everything, Father. And so, Lord, I do lift up, Father, Dover Baptist. God, I lift up, uh, you know, just Revolution Church, God, and Restoration Church, Lord, and Next Level, Father. All these churches, Lord, that are just out there just preaching your name, telling people about you. Oh, God, would you move, Father? Would you drop a bomb, God, here in the seacoast, Father, of just who you are? And Lord, man, you chose the most inefficient method, us. <laughs> Lord, would you open our hearts today to see how you want to speak, to see how you want to move in us, God, and through us, Father. 
Lord, if there be people here, Lord God, that just don't know you, Father, I pray, Lord, today would be the day. And man, Lord, we are, we're really just here to hear from you. And so God, I pray finally, Lord, would you get me out of the way? God, nobody came here to hear from some, some idiot. God, they came to hear from you. And so Father, would you, would you open up your word? God, would you speak into each heart the things that you once spoke in God? Oh Lord, we, we love you and we trust you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So you guys, today's message is, I titled it, The Love Revolution. Here's what came to my mind as I was studying through, and I'm like, you know, it's every Easter, right? Every pastor in the whole world is like, I know what I'm teaching. And so I was like, yeah, and and I'm not going to shy away from that. That's exactly what we're going to look at today is the resurrection of Christ. It's the most amazing, important story in all of history. But the thing that blew my mind is this, and this is the thing that I want to kind of sit in today. The love revolution. Who here was born and remembers the 60s? That means you didn't live it right, apparently, because according to the 60s, you shouldn't remember the 60s, right? <laughs> what was the 60s about, you guys? Freedom, right? Freedom in debauchery. Freedom in love, which meant do whatever you want with whoever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want. Say that fast three times. Right? That was what the 60s were really about. Free love, free drugs, free expression. All you kids out there can go study it if you want. But the reality is, you guys, we also know this because we're far enough away from the 60s that we have plenty of statistics. We have plenty of uh, really observations that we can make about that decade, right? What ended up coming out of that? You guys, the divorce rate? skyrocketed. Drug addiction, skyrocketed. Pornography, skyrocketed. Did you guys know that most of our popular adult magazines, most of these things that we uh, can look at kind of as the catalyst to where we are now on the internet came and was, and kind of was created in the 60s during the sexual revolution. You guys, now we're a pornographically saturated world. And I think it's a direct result of the 60s. Rape, statistically, skyrocketed. Abortions, skyrocketed. Free love has a price to pay. As of 2020, this is sad. As of 2020, you guys, 62 million babies have been aborted since Roe v. Wade. That's just the ones we know about. 62 million babies. And I need you guys to have a concept of what that is. That's more than the entire population of California and New York combined. More humans than the entire population of California and New York combined. It's 10 times the number of Jews killed by Hitler. STDs skyrocketed. Why am I saying all this? Can we agree, you guys, that humanity's attempt at trying to find love, at trying to find satisfaction, at trying to kind of find this utopian world that they thought they were going to create was an unmitigated disaster? Can we agree that it still is? We are so much worse off now than we were then. 
Were, was everything great then? No. Do you know why? Because we're human. Yeah. Is everything great now? I don't think so. Why? Because we're human. When people are like, it's because of the Democrats. Ah, it's because of the Republicans. And I'm like, no, it's because we're human. <laughs> That's why things are jacked up, because I exist. Because you exist. Encouraging. You guys, before our vain attempt at seeking a utopia that we were trying to find in this so-called freedom of this humanist ideology, do you realize that before all that, before the 60s and before the Enlightenment and before these things, again, I'm not acting like everything was perfect, but do you realize that the heart of the people was after God more all of that has been in decline while everything else that's bad has been going up. I mean, it's, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at the data, does it? And be like, huh, something here's not right. Now, I do want to take a look at what I believe with all of my heart is true and perfect love and what it looks like. And I want to look at what true and perfect freedom looks like. And I, I think it's found in here. And so let's read you guys. Verse one of chapter 24 says this. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, the angels said to them, why do you seek the living? Must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. And then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Johanna, mother, uh, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. So you guys, this is obviously picking up after the crucifixion, after the burial had already happened, right? Joseph of Arimathea had already gotten him gathered up with permission and put him in to his personal tomb, his family's tomb, which was incidentally very, very, very close to where Golgotha was, the hill that he had died on. And so you guys, we know from history, and we, this is very, very well documented, that the custom was is that they would bury the body and they would put spices and, and all these things on them. Why? Well, because your body reeks whenever you die. You start rotting. That's why. And so they would put oils and spices because in these tombs, there was a stone over it. And yeah, it was heavy and all these things, but, I'm, but it was still, it was like not the most secure burial, right? That's why we bury them in the ground now in most places when we can, right? Because it's like, more sanitary. Oh, I hear Siri. Who's talking? <laughs> all right. It's all right. Love it, love it, love it. You guys, so let's everybody take a moment, turn off your cell phone. 
I have really bad ADHD for all my visitors today. Sorry. <laughs> this turning off your cell phone thing is for real. <laughs> so you guys, there's this custom where you bury or you prepared the body. And why couldn't they do that? Why did they have to go back to the tomb? Well, we know it's Passover. And then on top of that, it was the Sabbath. And so there was all these things that rules that said like, eh, you can't be doing these things right now. And so they had to wait. And so they go back. And whenever they go back, they're expecting to find what? Well, we know from scripture a bunch of things. Roman guards. Because there was a Roman guard or a couple Roman guards put on that tomb. So they expected to find that. I'm assuming these ladies showed up and knew, hey, there's a wicked heavy stone that I got to roll back out. I'm hoping these guards will help me so that we can do this. We know that that's what they expected to find. They weren't expecting to find an easy thing here. And so when they show up and the stone's already rolled back and they're like, where, what is, what's going on? And they go inside and they see that it's empty. It's shocking to them as it should have been, as it was. And I need us to understand something. Here they were walking with this expectation of all these major problems, this huge, heavy stone that required several strong men to open it up. They were not going to be able to do it. They're going to have to find these guys and hope that the Roman guards are actually kind enough to help them, and that they don't just say, yeah, your Jewish customs are stupid. Get out of here, right? They had a lot riding on this to try to do this the right way. And so, yeah, they walk in and like, what is going on? And these two angels show up and they're like, why why are you here? (laughs) I love it because it makes me wonder, right? Like we know the word tells us that the angels, like they they look, they want to look in, they try to understand like, God, why would you do this with them? Like, I don't get it, right? Like, that's what the Bible tells us, that they're, they're like wanting to look in and figure it out and look at it because they stand in amazement of what Jesus is doing. And yet we see here, Jesus had told them at least three times in scripture, hey, guess what, guys? Here's the plan. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna die, and then I'm gonna come back. And they're like, hey, by the way, Jesus, can we sit on your right and your left? You remember that? <laughs> They just didn't get it. They're like, we're going to ignore that part because that doesn't fit our paradigm. But when you set your kingdom up, can we sit here? Can we do this? You guys remember that? All these different things that we've been looking at through Matthew. Here's the deal. The reality is, is that the women came back to the 11, right? Because Judas was already dead at this point. He had already committed suicide. They came back to the 11 and the whole crew that was just mourning. And they told this fantastic story. And I need us to stop for a second because the reality is, you guys, and I don't know if you've heard this before, but ladies in this point in history were not viewed in a very high standard, correct? Do you guys know that? Don't hurt me. That's just the way it was. They were viewed as completely unreliable witnesses. So their word had zero clout in any court. Their word meant nothing to anybody, basically, in this culture. And of course, this is a ridiculous point of view, isn't it? Because I'll be honest with you guys. I don't know about you all, men. Maybe you can back me up on this. The reality is, is that I'm a storyteller and I like to tell stories. And in my stories, sometimes I like to exaggerate just a bit (laughs) because it makes the story so much better. And I tell it in such a way that, to be honest, I don't look at it and think, oh, I'm lying. Why? Because everybody knows that I'm putting it out a little bit more. Because I'll say something like, you know, and then there was like 10,000 people here on this Sunday, and it was amazing. (laughs) 
right? And everyone's like, your church only holds 140, you know? <laughs> but the problem is, not a problem, it's a joy. My wife will be like, mm, no, actually, it was a, no. <laughs> what he means to say is it's about 128 people. So yeah, it was, it was full, it was full, but it wasn't, no, not 10,000. She knows, man. She's good. And by the way, just so y'all know, I told her I was going to throw her under the bus. So she knew. My wife knows just how to ruin a good story. (laughs) But I also have something else to say. It proves the reliability of her witness, doesn't it? (laughs) Amen. (laughs) And I'm not sure if that's true of every wife, but it's definitely true of our relationship where I have to look at her and be like, "Mm, it's story time. Shush. Right? Look, <laughs> you're like, amen, amen, brother. <laughs> so the reality is, is, yeah, these women weren't making this up. And I want us to take a moment and think about this. Think about it from their perspective. You guys know I like to do this, man. Like, get out of our context and think about it from their perspective. These ladies, these women that know what we say means nothing to any of these men anyway right? In the culture of the day, this is the way it's going to be taken. And they, they, they come and they do all these things. Think about it. What would you do on the way back? Would you be like, there's like, there's no way they're going to believe this. They're not going to believe me anyway. And then this, like, it's crazy. It's crazy. But I got to say this, remember that it was equally crazy when Jesus was born, wasn't it? Angels like to pop up in the most crazy times. (laughs) You guys, I want us to stop and think for a second from the perspective of this group of women. They're not viewed as reliable witnesses. They're coming and they're reporting these fantastic details about things. And the reality is, is to say this story was a little extra would be a complete understatement, wouldn't it? This is a lot extra. And I need us to get our heads around this because they wrote this stuff down not that much later. Can I just, can I, can I stop for a second and, and realize that these people, do you realize how embarrassing this would all be if this was not true? And do you realize how easy, I'm sorry, I made a baby cry. I'm good at that. I get loud. Would you realize how easy it would be for them to prove that it's not true? You said he's not there. You said you saw angels? You said the Roman guards were gone? The stone was rolled? What? Like what? So what, did we, what happened here? Well, the reality is they went back. They didn't get a great response just like they said they, or just like they thought they were going to. Verse 11 says, and their words seemed to them like idle tales. You know what that word means in Greek? You ready? It means nonsense. They thought they were talking nonsense. They're like, you're full of it. You are literally full of it. You're lying. And I love it because what happened next? Peter, impetuous Peter, love it. Impulsiveness. He immediately rolled up out of there, right? He's like, well, I'm going to go check it out, right? And I love this story because Luke was generous and gracious, but John wasn't so gracious, right? John totally kind of put Peter on blast, but on the sly, right? He, John calls Peter out. I don't know if you guys ever know about this in the gospels. John was super young. That's one of the reasons he lived the longest, right? And the fact that he wasn't martyred. But the reality is, is that John, at this point, was probably 16, 17 years old. He was a pretty young guy. 
right? The youngest disciple. And, and John says he keeps referring to himself in his own gospel as the one that Jesus loved, which is also awesome, right? He loved me. And since I wrote my gospel last, I can write whatever I want. No, right? And so here's John, the one that, God, that Jesus loves. And he says about this story, he says that Peter ran and he said, and the one that, this, that Jesus loved ran with him and outran him. So he's just like, hi, old man, right? And goes running by Peter, runs up to the door. But the impulsiveness of Peter, he stops at the, at the entrance, John does. And he's standing there and he's looking in and he's seeing, you know, that the, that the clothes were laid out and there was other things. And Peter's like, get out of here. And he just runs right in and he's looking, right? And so Peter goes in. And what he saw was crazy. Not only, you guys, were the clothes just laying there, but we're told that the, the actual head covering the thing that would cover your head was not just randomly laying on the thing. No, it was folded up neatly. It was folded up neatly. I think that's an important point. John 20, chapter 20, verse 7 is where we find that out, that the actual face cloth was folded neatly in a separate location. And so then John and Peter go back and they're like, hey, these ladies, they weren't crazy. It's, it's for real. Like they're like, it's It's real. And so now we have this group of women that had nothing to gain about lying about what they saw. Nothing to gain. As a matter of fact, they had everything to lose. And these two men that couldn't fathom what all of this meant or why someone then would even bother with the face cloth. Did you guys ever think about this? If you stole a body, <laughs> just think about this. I don't know if you ever did any grave robbing. I haven't. You're like, that's good, Pastor, because that's terrifying. You guys, if a body's being stolen, stolen out of a tomb, guarded by two very well-trained Roman guards, first off, how are you going to get in there? I don't think, first off, if they did get in there, I don't think as they're taking the body that someone would be like, hey, guys, hold on. We can't be messy, Marvin. Let me tidy up a bit, right? And fold the little sheet and, okay, we're good. And now leave. No, if you're stealing a body, you're stealing it. You're getting it out of there as fast as humanly possible. You're not going to be like, let's unwrap them. You're going to just take it, right? I mean, nothing about this makes any sense. Because these are the arguments the world uses about this story. Oh, well, I mean, they probably just took the body. No, what, what, why? Dude, you have two Roman guards. This is what you're comparing that to. I got a Marine sitting right up here in the front. I think you'll agree with me. Two Marines, forgive me. Don't beat me up. I'm Air Force, bro. I'm soft. <laughs> I'm soft. And I've been out for a while, so really leave me alone. No. You guys, in order to have this happen, it would be similar to someone breaking into a military installation and then entering a locked building without the key while well-trained and armed guards stood a few feet away. And then even if they got in, going in and spending the time to unwrap the body, <laughs> fold some stuff up, make it look nice, and then escape all without being seen. Really? Do you think that's possible? I don't. These guards are well-trained Roman guards. You guys got to understand, it's just not going to happen. These guards, do you understand what happened to these guards? We're not told, but historically we know what happened. If they did not fulfill the mission that they were told to do, not even the Marines are this bad, they straight up killed the Roman guards. <laughs> these Roman guards probably died. Probably. 
Now we're told elsewhere in the gospels that the uh, Jewish leaders were gonna try to protect them. But really, what do you think the Jewish leaders were gonna do compared to the Romans? Probably nothing. These guys probably died. And you gotta, you gotta get your head around that. Why? Because I don't know about you, but I don't think they were falling asleep on the job. In the military, if you fall asleep, it's a really, really, really bad thing and you just don't do it. You don't do it. How much more, you guys, if your literal life was on the line? Do you think you'd be like, I'm gonna catch me a few Zs. I mean, this guy's dead anyway. No. You're gonna stay awake. You're gonna do your job. And I need you also to keep this in mind. Everything about this story speaks to the fact that these people were mourning the death of this Messiah that they had in their mind. And as we've been reading through Matthew, church, you guys know they didn't get it. So nowhere in their thought process was it like in their mind to be like, yeah, he's coming back. Let's go get him. Woo, we getting to Bernie's. He'll just sit up here until he comes back. No. They were like, he's dead. It didn't work the way we thought it was going to work. They were not aiming to go get this body. To them, their whole world had just exploded. Nothing went as planned. And the last thing on their mind would probably be to go and die by these two Roman soldiers' hands just so they can steal a body. For what? For what? He was dead. Skip over with me to verse 36. The part we're skipping over, you guys, is the road to Emmaus. Is this first time Jesus shows up and he's talking to these two guys that are all like beat down and just uh, depressed. And so they're walking with their head down. Man, did you hear about that? And Jesus is like, no, nah, tell me, right? <laughs> and he, so he tells them and then, and then they go in and they break bread together and that's when they realize it. And then Jesus is like, I'm out, boo, he disappears. <laughs> right? So where we're picking up here in verse 36 these two guys, as soon as they were like, whoa, that was Jesus, they go running back to all the other apostles, all the other disciples, the 11, and they're like, we just saw Jesus, <laughs> right? And they're freaking out. And just as that's happening, verse 36, let's read, says this. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them. Notice he doesn't say he walked in the door. No, he just like, boop, hey guys. He stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see for, the, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed him his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy, but while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. That is quite the combination. And he, <laughs> just saying, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the psalm to this point. This is all the stuff that had to come true. This is the stuff that was prophesied, right? Verse 45, and he opened their understanding 
that they might comprehend the scriptures. Oh, Lord, do that in us. Verse 46, then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of all these things. Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And we know he's speaking of the Holy Spirit there. But you guys, I want to just sit for this a little bit. Because Jesus, right after he opens up these two guys on the road to Emmaus, they're in the middle of telling the disciples everything they witnessed. And then Jesus just pops in and he's like, what's up, y'all? Right? Like he just shows up. And it's crazy. He's like, what are y'all freaked out about? We've gone over this plan how many times? You still didn't get it. And Jesus had to show them that he wasn't a ghost. I need you guys to understand this. Do you realize how embarrassing this is for the disciples? Do you realize that as a proof, historically, whenever you go to college and you learn about historical documentation, I'm not talking about just the Bible, I'm talking about period, a sign of its truthfulness, a sign of the fact that it is real is when it's willing to embarrass itself. Do you understand? When the people that wrote it are willing to be like, yeah, and I right there was totally an idiot and didn't get it. Because if you read a lot of these things, they're like, and then I showed up and I was amazing, right? Like that's the way it normally is written. This stands out. Scholars, whether you're an atheist scholar or not, look at this and say, whoa, there's something here. There's something here. They wrote down things that no one else would ever write down. There's a story, a book that I read one time about a Jew that was speaking to a Palestinian and they were friends. And he was talking to him and he encouraged him. He's like, just read the Old Testament and you'll realize that, that Yahweh, God, or that God is, is the God of the universe and not Allah. And so they, they read each other's books and the Muslim guy, the Palestinian, came back and he was like, dude, you guys suck. Uh, that's my paraphrase. He's like, you guys, man, like you suck. Like this whole thing that I read, you guys look so dumb. Like you're so dumb. Like why? You just said you don't even listen to your guy. Like what? God's there and you're not listening. And he's like, exactly. And he still loves us anyway. So the Palestinian ended up becoming a Jew, basically. Right? And now I'm praying that they both become Christians because they still missed that one point. But do you get my point, you guys? The word as a whole, when we're reading these things, if they were telling a story, do you understand they would have made, made themselves the hero, hero of the story? Yeah. They didn't. They owned who they were. They told the truth. Man, this is what it was. We thought that Jesus was a ghost, which is ridiculous. And so he's like, man, since you guys still think I'm dead... Like, look at my hands and my feet. Look at my wrists. Look at, look at the fact that I've got holes still in them. Look at my side. We know from other parts of scripture that he even called Thomas up, doubting Thomas, right? He even called him up. He's like, here, go ahead. Stick your finger in it. It doesn't hurt no more. It's okay. Right? Like, figure it out. Figure out that I'm real. I'm flesh. I'm bone. I'm here. You guys, he still has the nail holes. He tells him to give him food. Not that he needed to eat, but obviously you guys, a ghost can't eat food. What's the point here? Jesus was reminding them, here I am, and this was always part of the plan. This has always been part of the plan. 
You guys, we read that God would send a Messiah to bear the sin of the whole world throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. It's prophesied. It's spoken of. You guys, all the way, do you understand this starts in Genesis? Before they were even out of the garden, God said, I'm going to send to somebody. I'm going to send to deliver. Do you realize that that's actually why Eve named her children what she did? Did you know that? Even the names, Seth, those names have significance because basically what she was saying is, is he it? Is he the one? Maybe he's the one that's going to get us back. Right from the very beginning, they were waiting on the Messiah. And if you've never heard about that, can I, can I encourage you again in something? Go to church! <laughs> Learn something, why don't you? It's all here. You guys, I got this to say in conclusion. Listen, you might be like, Pastor, you started off by giving us statistics and information about the 60s. <laughs> and then you talk about this story and you're trying to give us the factual background of it all. And what does all this have to do with what we just read? And I would say to you, that's a great question. The reality is, you guys, Jesus showed all of humanity what perfect love looks like. It looked like sacrifice. It looked like a willingness to take all of our garbage, all of it, all of it. What Hitler did, what you and I did. Yeah, I just compared us to Hitler. What all of us have ever done, every sin, even the stuff, you guys, that we don't even know we're going to do yet everything. And he said, yeah, bring it. And did he do that with just like this sense of like, ah, it's all good. No, we know he spent time pleading with God, the father saying, man, if there's any other way, I don't want, this is hard, right? Sweating drops of blood, which is a medical condition. Luke tells us he's the one that tells us that so stressed out so concerned about what he knew was going to come that he was sweating drops of blood. And I love it because he says this, not my will, God, but yours, yours be done. At the end of it all, he's like, you're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth the pain. You're worth every part. And so here we stand as believers. If you're here today and you believe that Jesus died, I need you to understand what perfect love looks like. It looks like the sacrifice that Christ made for you. Jesus, who had a flesh torn back and a bloodied brow, who has still nail holes in his wrists and his feet, has a gash from the sword that was thrust into his side where blood and water flowed out. Why? Well, most scholars believe because his heart had ruptured and that's what killed him. Jesus, who lived this perfect life, died for all of us sacrificially. And why did he do it? He did it because he knew that we were not free, that we were slaves to sin. And so the one free man that ever walked the earth, completely free from sin, completely free in every way, shape, and form, gave up heaven to come down God in flesh to live a life of 33 plus years-ish years here on earth just to show us what perfect love looked like and then to die for us and rise again. You guys, we're all misfit toys. We're all a bunch of misfit toys. We are incapable of living without error. 
And if you're here today and you're not a Christian and you still think you're good enough, I've got to tell you something. You're a sinner just like the rest of us. Come join the crowd. Recognize who you are. And if you're like, no, I'm not, pastor. I don't sin. Well, that's a sin of pride, you sinner. (laughs) We're all sinners. We all make mistakes. We all miss the mark. None of us can live in perfection. And if you really, I'm not kidding here. If you actually are like crazy enough, and I I call you a little bit crazy because I really think that you are, if you actually believe that you are living without sin, I want you to go ask the people around you that are closest to you if you've ever offended them or if they've ever been angry with you or if you've ever done anything ever in your entire life. Go talk to your parents. Go talk to whoever you can, your family, and say, have I ever done anything wrong? I promise you somebody will tell you. And then you get to do just like I do and say, "Mm, yeah, no, I'm a sinner. We're messed up. We're messed up. I think the 60s proved humanity's messed up. Let's go back a little further. Hitler proved humanity's messed up, but that's easier to look at one guy and be like, oh, it's all his fault. No, no, it really wasn't. There's a bunch of people that did it too. And if it wouldn't have been Hitler, we would know another name. Right now we know a name called Putin. What's next? You guys, if you think humanity is going to get you anywhere, I'm sorry, man. And I'm a human, so I have a right to say this. We're screwed up. We're not getting us anywhere, especially to heaven. I think that's why we need Jesus. You guys, Jesus doesn't ask you to come clean. He doesn't ask you to come in and be like perfect and ready and clean. No, he says, come in just like you are and let me save you from yourself. And that's what he does, doesn't he? And so that leads me to the second part of where we started. How do we find real freedom? Humanity has not figured out what that answer is yet. Listen, I think our country is amazing. I fought for our country. I love our country. But we haven't figured out what real freedom is, have we? Honestly? We're under the oppression of the man. (laughs) Who's the man? I don't know. (laughs) Whoever's in charge. Nothing is, nothing is perfect. We don't know what perfect freedom looks like here on earth. And even when we aim towards it, we end up being enslaved by some of our freedoms, don't we? Think about this, you guys. Cell phones, what do they do? They're like, yeah, look, you can talk to anybody, anywhere, at any time. And guess what? Then there's this thing called the internet. Whoa, we can talk to anybody. Listen, I have conversations. We have brother, a dear brother in the Lord in Africa. We have a whole church that we are connected with in Africa. You guys all know this. And for those of you that don't, now you do. We have a church in Kenya that we are connected with. I literally talk to him. We send voicemails back and forth to each other. We talk all the time. We have all these freedoms. But do you know what else the cell phone has done? It's enslaved us to our phone, hasn't it? Do you realize that psychologists are making a lot of money right now? Why? Because people are enslaved by Facebook or people are enslaved by Instagram or social media as a whole or even just their phone. What about this? The people that want to find freedom in drugs. Freedom in, you know, opening your mind. Free your mind. Very common phrase in the 60s. Listen, you guys, musically, I'm a musician. I love music. Some of my favorite bands are the Beatles and not like the squeaky clean Beatles. No, the ones where they were really messed up on drugs, Beatles. 
just being real. I really love Pink Floyd. I really love Great Dead. I love Grateful Dead. All these bands. Do you know one of the big things all those bands were known for? Lots of drugs. Lots of drugs. Why? Because they're like, I'm going to free my mind and we're going to like explore the musical landscape and do these things. And they did. And yeah, some of it was pretty cool. Some of it wasn't. But the reality is, if you can't even quit your freedom, is it free? If you literally physically cannot stop your freedom, is it freedom? I have a lot of friends that did a lot of acid. I have relatives that did a lot of cocaine. And I'm going to stick with acid because all my friends that did a lot of acid, LSD, right? They still, to this day, will have flashbacks where they're like, oh, take the wheel while they're driving. That's terrifying when you're a passenger in a car. Everything is purple. (laughs) And you grab the wheel because they're like, and they just look down and wait for it to go away. That's terrifying. That's dangerous. They will never get away from that because of what they've done to their body. And thank God my friends that are dealing with that are free from that through a lot of rehab and through a lot of death. But you guys, that is not freedom. Real freedom is found in Jesus. You guys, people look at this book, at the Bible, and they're like, man, this is all these rules, right? All these rules I got to follow. Ah, and yeah, in the Old Testament, do you know what? The Jews kind of, in their humanity, took the 10 rules that God gave them, turned it into 613 rules, and yes, that is a lot of rules. But you know what Jesus did? He took it back to the 10, but then he was like, you know what? We can sum up all 10 in two. And he said these two, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. This is way, you guys, listen, go look up the U.S. laws. I promise you there's more than two. (laughs) Drive on the road, you've got to follow more than two. Or maybe you don't, then a cop will nail you, and you'll realize that you should have been following more than two. (laughs) I know where the gas pedal is, and I go. (laughs) You guys, the truth is, is that Jesus is like, these two rules, follow them. That's it. And you know what's so cool? He knows we're not going to be able to follow him right. And so he gives us his grace through Jesus. So that when we're like, hey, I got into an argument with my neighbor. And who's my neighbor? Any other human being you're interacting with is your neighbor, just so you know. And you're like, oh, I screwed up. Oh, man, on the road, I wasn't following all the rules. And that guy in front of me was. And it really annoyed me because he's so slow. (laughs) And so as I went by, I didn't give the finger, but I went, oh. Yes, I've done that. (laughs) We get to go to God and be like, oh, Lord, forgive me. Oh, God, forgive me. And he's like, yeah, you're forgiven. Now stop it. But you're forgiven. You guys, we don't do it perfectly. Do we do a bang-up job? Nope. But can I make some pretty obvious observations of a life living being, you know, living a life striving towards those two rules. If you live to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, you have a hope that is greater than all this garbage in this world. You really do. You have a hope that is so much greater. Why? Because God is eternal. And he says that we will spend an eternity in one of two places. 
And man, if you know Jesus, if you've accepted the work that he did on the cross, you get to go to heaven with all the rest of us. And if you don't, man, I pray today is that day because there is another place. It's called hell. It's real. Jesus spoke about it more than he spoke about heaven. That's not so fun. I don't want anybody to go there, so don't. Except Christ. It's that easy. But you get to see him change your life day by day. How? Through the work of sanctification. It's a really big word that means this. It means that every step you're taking with God, everything you're doing, you're driving down the road, that's another step. You get angry and you're like, ah, to somebody. And then you're like, oh man, I took a misstep. And God's like, come on, get back on the path. Let's keep walking. Let's go. That's sanctification. And so down the road, as you've walked a couple miles, as you've walked proverbially a couple years, you start looking back and you're like, man, I don't find myself getting as angry. And I'm just being real with you guys. I got saved at 16. I was a driver. I was a really bad driver. And I loved my middle finger. I did. It was the best answer to so many problems. I'm just being real with you guys. God took that away. I don't do that anymore. I don't even put up my fist anymore. I'm just being really honest with you guys. You realize this is sanctification. This is God working out of us the garbage that's in us and just saying like, now give it to me. You don't need it anyway. Like, let me fill you up with me. Let me fill you up with the Holy Spirit. Let me just continue to work on you and grow in you and turn you into the man that I actually want you to look like or turn you into the woman that I actually want you to look like. And that is a day by day by day process until the day we die. We have the freedom to walk in that if we're loving God with all our heart, mind, and soul. We're going to find ourselves less and less looking at others around us and thinking, ah, they're all dumb and I'm smart. And we're going to spend a lot more time being like, man, God, thank God that you want to save them as much as you saved me, this wretched soul. If you live to love your neighbor as yourself, meaning every other human, well, a couple things that I guarantee, you don't go out and cheat on your spouse. You don't murder. You don't steal. Probably not going to punch anybody. Probably going to be less and less quick to get angry with people about things. You realize we're all equally lost without Jesus. And you live towards others in a way that shows and speaks of the amazing free gift that Jesus gave you. If you're living that way, you guys, I don't, I don't know. Listen, I... Trying to remember the lyrics of the song we were just listening to uh, on the way to the sunrise service, and it just it struck me that speaking about standing on solid ground, and he said that I will take the foolishness of this bedrock because that's how the world views it. Following Jesus is for fools. You're believing this crazy story. I'll take it. I'll believe it because this foolishness of bedrock that I'm standing on is way better than the world shifting sand that we've seen shifting in the last 10 years. I think way crazier. The earthquake is coming. Culture is shifting back and forth and all over the place. And who knows who the next president's going to be and what's going to happen next and how's it all going to go? And I don't know. I don't want to live that way. I'd rather be like, I know Jesus. I'm good. If you live this way, you guys, if you accept the free gift that Jesus has given you, I got to say, you're going to be changed by it. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you worry less about what you can get out of relationships and you're more concerned with how you can bless others in relationships. I don't hear anything bad in any of these things. I don't. 
I believe a life lived for Christ is the most radical, countercultural, revolutionary way of living that anyone could ever live. That's what I believe. And if you're here today and you've already accepted that work, then can I challenge all of us? Can I challenge us? None of us live this perfectly. We can't. But I do know what we can all do. We have that thing that Jesus was talking about there at the end that he told the disciples to go and wait for, right? He told him, he's like, go into Jerusalem and wait until you are endued with power from on high. When you accept Christ, you are given the Holy Spirit. Right then and there, he comes and dwells inside of you. It's literally the Spirit of God living in you, empowering you, giving you the strength, helping you. Whenever you're getting ready to put your fist up in the car, he's like, mm, don't do that. And then after a while, as the sanctification process continues, you get to a point where you're like, I don't even want to do it anymore. Yeah. Right? So now when I get really mad, I'll tell you guys, I went from giving the bird to putting up my fist to yelling really loudly in my car to doing that to now you can ask my wife most of the time when I'm going somewhere and I'm driving, I usually am like this, oh, Lord, bless him. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Get over! <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm getting better. God's doing a work in me. <laughs> Still yell, because I like to yell. But the reality is, you guys, I'm asking God, and I've been asking God this. I want God to start a love revolution. I want him to do something different. And it's not different for him. It's different in us. Because I, I church, I, I, I look around and I, I look at things like Westboro Baptist and I, I see things in this world that are called Christian that I'm like, oh, that's disgusting. And I don't think that's what Jesus called us to. I think he called us to love. And that means, yes, we speak truth. We don't shy away from what it says. There are things in here that are very wrong and there are things in here that are very good. We need to know that. That doesn't mean that humanity is any more good or wrong. They're just like they always are. Amen just like you and just like me. And so we don't look at someone and be like, oh, you do that? Oh. No, we look at them and like, man, you're a sinner, just like me. Let's talk about Jesus. Come to know who Jesus is. Get to know this guy named Jesus. He's amazing. He is literally the only way to heaven. And if you don't believe it, he said it. So he's either a liar and a lunatic or he is who he says he is because he said, I'm the only way, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those are your only two options. You don't get to say he was a good teacher, a good man, an okay fella. No, he was either a liar and a lunatic or he was the Lord. And I firmly, firmly, firmly believe he was the Lord. I believe that with all of me. If you're here today and you have not accepted that work, it isn't rocket science. It's not magic. You don't have to do a certain thing and spin around six times. You just do this. God, I recognize that I'm a sinner. Lord, I believe that Jesus, you are the only way that that is going to be fixed. Will you do that for me? I accept the work that you did on the cross. That's it. If you want to pray that with somebody else, there's going to be people up here to pray with. Guess what? That's also not magic. You don't have to come to the front. Do you know where I was saved? I was saved in the parking lot of a church after two services in a row in two different churches, did an altar call, and I was like, yeah, that is no way I'm going to front. That is weird. And so I sat in a parking lot with my friends, and they're like, dude, what is it going to take? Our pastors never do that. 
And I accepted the Lord in a parking lot. And it was amazing. So I want to encourage you, if you don't feel comfortable coming up, don't. Grab the person next to you. Church, I tell you this all the time. We need to be ready in season and out of season. It is not about a pastor. It is not about any one person. It's about you, Christian, telling others about Jesus and being ready to bring someone into the fold. That's it. So if someone grabs you and says, tell me about Jesus, you better be like, oh, I got some things to tell you. I want to encourage us as we go into prayer, if you need anything, any prayer for anything, if you want to talk about the fact that you are a priest or Christian and you're like, I don't want to be a priest or Christian no more, man, talk to somebody. And like I said, and I I sincerely mean this, you guys, we do not have the corner market on Christianity at this church. We do not, I I need you to hear that. What we do have is Jesus. And it's the same thing that Dover Baptist has. And it's the same thing that the Assemblies of God Church down here has. And it's the same thing that a lot of churches in the area have. And I would love to get you plugged into whatever church you feel called to go to. I really mean it. And if that's here, praise God. Come join us freaks. Only a few of you laughed. Come on, y'all. Don't take yourself so seriously. You know we're a bunch of freaks. You guys, and if you need prayer for anything, if you're here today and you're like, man, I I need prayer. I want to tell more people about Jesus. I want to live a life that is loving my neighbor better. Come and do the hard work and, and pray. Grab somebody next to you or come up front and pray. Let's pray.